I want to talk to you this morning, um, turn another page on the subject of hope. Hope. Hope, the definition, again, is a wish or a desire or a dream, but it is attached to an expectation an anticipation that what I have hoped for, wished for, dreamed about, really is one day going to happen. Now may the God of hope, if you can say this with me, take a shot at it. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is the God who understands dreams, he understands wishes and desires, and he understands the expectation that what we've been wishing for is going to come to pass. Now this morning, as we talk some more about turn another page on hope, We'll look at it in this way. There's still hope, no matter what. Last week we filled that in because of the mercy of God. There's still hope, no matter what, because of the mercy of God. Today, this morning, there's still hope, no matter what, because of the might of God the might of God, the power of God. And I I want you to meet a story of the might of God. Rick, would you bring your girls up here for just a moment, please? This is the Alvarez family. And I'm going to, I'm gonna stand next to Lily the heroine in the story. Would you stand right up here? I want you to listen to this. This is is Lily's own writing. As someone who grew up in the church, I always identified strongly with Christian values and faith. I remember actively accepting Christ in the first grade However, I always felt the presence of God in my life. And this is one of the many ways in which I feel blessed. I never went through a period in my life when I felt absolutely alone or felt like I was in a pit of despair. Even when I found myself in the hospital in the second grade, needing reconstructive surgery on my throat, And later in the eighth grade, when I lost the majority of my vision, I never felt lost, never felt forsaken, never felt lied to by God. I don't need the prayers for healing or the good-natured but nonetheless misplaced sympathy of others. God created me this way, flaws and all, I wouldn't change myself just to appease the norm or fit in. As Christians, isn't it our duty to take the path less traveled? Now let me tell you another couple of things. Let me tell you a few more things about Lily. She was born with Stickler's disease. She is legally blind. She has missed two years of high school to attend School for the Blind in Austin. But this year, in just a few weeks, she will be graduating summa cum laude. with with a 103 grade point average from Reagan High School in San Antonio. 
She is an avid reader. She received the National Hispanic Scholar Award. She plays in the Reagan Orchestra and she has been accepted at the University of Texas in Austin to pursue a degree in education in the fall. And if that is not enough, her dream is to teach English in Japan and one day settle down to live in Japan. Have you ever heard of anything like that in your life? No, I, I just, I get all choked up, Lily. I, you'll just have to excuse your pastor this morning. It's, 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 not, it's not anything out of pity or anything like that. It's just, I'm just stunned. When Rick, Rick told me about this in our meeting um, this last week, and uh, he said, I just, he first reported that you were magna, and then he came back to correct it to say summa. <laughs> I'm just glad I, glad I graduated good laude, you know, instead of <laughs> start with good laude, magna, summa, and so forth. Cum, there's, well, there's three of them, cum, magna, and summa. That, that means the top of the top of the top. But I just, um, my heart just has been so plowed afresh with the rejoicing over the mercy of God and the power of God. Now, folks, we're going to talk about the power of God with Moses and how how the power of God cleared away through the Red Sea. And so they walked through on dry ground and, and, and freedom came. But power doesn't have to just come in thermonuclear reactions, powerful expressions of one spot in time. For this beautiful young lady to have reached this level in her life, she has had to experience thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of dispensings of the power of God, second by second, hour by hour, day by day. And I just believe we need to, as we honor what the Lord has done in her life, I just think we just need to stand up and give the Lord a clap offering of praise for what he has done and what he has been doing. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you guys, bless you guys. There we go. Amen. So when some of the rest of us start whining about things and we, we, we bemoan certain things that have befallen us or certain things that don't change, I, I, we need to pass a copy of this out to everybody to read. I always felt the presence of God in my life I never went through a period in my life when I felt absolutely alone or felt like I was in a pit of despair. Even in the hospital in the second grade, reconstructive surgery, eighth grade, when I lost the majority of my vision, I never felt lost. I never felt forsaken. I never felt lied to by God. Folks, that's the power of God at work in a life. That's the God of hope at work. Now, may now, right now, not in changed circumstances, but in present circumstances, right in the middle of where we are today. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope, overflow hope, exude hope. How and from what source? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, do you know where the book of Exodus is in your Bible? It's the second one in your book. If you need to go to the table of contents to find Exodus, you just help yourself do that. We're, we're just glad you're here this morning. Whether this is your first time, whether this is your home on Sunday morning. Now look, some of you folks who are watching us on the Facebook Live and, and these other means that we have, we are so glad that you're tuned in. We would love to see your faces sometimes too. You know, maybe you could come and visit us. It's a little bit different. It's good that wherever we are, we'll get reports from, from 
the, literally the other part of the world and different cities in the states where folks have been able to tune in with the Facebook broadcast, and we're just so thankful for that. But there really is a difference in being here in this house, and, and just so grateful that you all went to all the trouble. All you guys, you look pretty good. You got up, cleaned yourself up, shaved you, for the most part. Clothing our right ladies always look more beautiful when you're in this house than any, any place else. And glad you're here. Glad you're here. The Lord will say, we're two or three have gathered together in my name. What's the rest of that? There I will be in the midst of you. And we often say when he is in the house, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Exodus chapter 3. Or actually, I want to fast forward and take you instead of from 3 to chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. This is the story of, of Moses and the story of the great deliverance that God brought to his people. The freedom that he brought to his people. Will you make a note of this somewhere? Let's make a middle note, spiritual note. The Lord is the Spirit, Paul says, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Wherever the Spirit of God is actively at work in a life or in a group, in a nation, it is the work of freedom that he is doing. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you could imagine the Lord with his two mighty hands, and this is not an exhaustive or a fully adequate comparison, but if you could see in one hand of the Lord his mercy, his pity, his compassion, his heart for the desperate, his ability to feel what we feel in the broken places, in the scared places, in the confused places, frustrated places of our lives. In the one hand of the Lord, you, you, you could envision his mercy, his tenderness, his compassion. In the other hand, if you could just imagine and envision, because it's true, it's there, his might his power. What the Lord does, the Lord always does according to some purpose that he has. Purpose for a life, purpose for a family, purpose for a couple, purpose for a nation. He acts in accordance with his purpose. God has a purpose for you. And throughout all the days of your life, this one purpose is going to be intact. And we make a real mistake if we think that the only time in our lives, in our spiritual lives, that this is ever accomplished is, in, is when we first come to know the Lord. It's that work of freedom. It's the purpose that God has to set you free and to keep on setting you and me free. He knows better than we do how bound our minds can be, our conclusions can be better than we know how bound we are. We don't see things from the perspective that he sees them. We don't realize that a whole bunch of us have just grown up with a bunch of junk in the brain. We don't realize that we have just grown up with an automatic judgment about a person or a type of person or a group of people or a part of the city or part of the nation, part of the world. We can be bound and not even know we're bound. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to be able to forgive. Freedom to be able to move on. Freedom to be able to think without judgment. 
without condemnation, without stay away from me, another person or group of people. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, now here, here's what happens. The Lord in his mercy wants to draw freedom out of us, wants to take us to freedom, has pity upon us, feels a sorrow for us when we're bound, when we're being oppressed, when we're not able to move freely and move into our destiny. We're, 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 we're trapped by something. His mercy, that's one hand, his mercy toward that. But in his other hand, that hand of might, he has the ability to orchestrate circumstances, to accomplish things in order for freedom to come. For a person to be set free. He not only knows that we're bound and he has compassion there, but he has the ability to set in motion circumstances that will affect our lives, that will result in freedom. Now I want you to think back if, if you're just coming to be entertained this morning, this, you just well to go ahead and go to sleep now because there's not going to be a lot of entertain, whole lot of entertainment. Here's what I would ask you to do. If you go back through some of the most difficult seasons in your life, it, it may be the loss of a parent as a child. Maybe you grew up in a home where it was a single mom home or a single dad home. Or, or there were some things... Uh, that, that happened medically to you, or there was something even that happened in a marriage, to a marriage. There were, there were things that happened on a corporate level, a business level. And it was tough. And, and for some of you, it may have lasted a long time. But here's the question. If as you have walked through that, and now maybe you're able to look back at it, has there not been a further place of freedom that God has brought you to in the process of that? Some way or another, some things that I thought I couldn't live without, I'm living without. Some things that I thought if it ever happened, it would kill me. I'm still sucking air. I, my eyes still blink. My knees still work. My hands still wave. My brain still thinks. My heart, though it was smashed, still somehow can feel again. That whatever it was, that I thought if it happened, it would have the power to kill me, didn't kill me. I'm alive. I'm alive because of, folks, listen, the mercy of God wrapped around my life and the might of God wrapped around my life. And there were things that I knew he was having compassion on me for. I knew that his heart was breaking with me. But then as time went on, I began to see some circumstances altered, some things that happened, some things that came into my life, some things that were gotten out of my life. It was the power of God. And you come away from things like that. And I know I'm, I'm not talking to some beginners here. I'm talking to some folks who have walked through some deep, long valleys and have met, met a, a lifetime of midnights at times that you would feel that there's, when am I ever going to smile again? When is the sun ever going to shine again? But you have smiled again. The sun did come up again, that you didn't die in that place of deep desperation because you were knowing somehow that in the middle of that, God was having mercy upon you. He was right there with you. He wasn't off on some mountain somewhere looking down on you and trying to throw you a rope. He got in it with you. He was there with you. He made his presence known in. In fact, one of the best ways you know that, that God loves you is when nobody else seems to love you. When, when nobody else believes in you, but you sense God still has a sense of purpose for your life. That's how you can really begin to know there is something to me. 
After everybody's written you off, but somehow in your spirit, there's a sense God has a plan for my life. And I'm counting on him to finish what he started in me. Freedom. Freedom. Freedom from your worst nightmare. Freedom from the predictions of those that would rule your life with their attitudes and their perspectives. Freedom from them. power of God to set folks free is an ongoing work of the Spirit in the growing believer. Whenever you get around somebody who carries the attitude that they've they just seem to have it all figured out. They finally got, got um, you know, the level of maturity in the Lord that they need, and you can't really tell them anything, and they won't really ask you for your opinion because they've got all the answers. It's just a sad place to, to ever live in because the truth is, the truth is, even the Apostle Paul said, I'm the least of all the saints. I need to be taught. I want to be taught. I welcome the instruction of the Lord to shape me and change me. And he would pray, he would say this too in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul was saying, I, I, wanna, I don't want to just read stories about the power of Jesus. I want to know the power of Jesus, and I want to know it by being in places where I have to experience that power, even his, his power to raise somebody from the dead. I want to know Jesus in that way. I want to know his power to even raise the dead. All of that, all of that as a backdrop for the moving into this story, and I'll have to be very brief about it, Moving us to the parting of the Red Sea with Moses and the children of Israel. These, these words um, from Exodus chapter 6 and verse 5, the Lord speaking to Moses. And furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the sons of Israel because of the Egyptians, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I've remembered my covenant remembered what he had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. But he was remembering and noticing what the Egyptians were doing enslaving his people. The way the Israelites got there was by way of Joseph. You remember that story? Joseph ended up ahead of his brothers through the, through the working of the Lord, and he's the right hand of, of Pharaoh in, in those days. But but as the time went on, the Pharaohs that were friendly to the Israelites died, and a Pharaoh arose, the scripture would say, who knew not Joseph. And the Israelites populated, they grew rapidly over the 430 years that they were, they were in Egypt. And the dominant Egyptians increasingly exerted their authority over the Israelites such that in these days, the Israelites had become nothing more than slave, just slave labor. But who they really were, were objects of God's covenant. That they were the ones through whom God would bless the entire world through the coming of Jesus. But at that time in their lives and for hundreds of years, they couldn't think of themselves as anything other than slaves. They were heirs, but they only thought of themselves as slaves. It could seem as if God was so far away and the promises so long ago that how could it, that even have been right? It's certainly not right about us. We're just slaves. And the Lord was aware of what was happening to them. Because of the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, I remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I'm the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from their bondage. And will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know me that I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession 
I am the Lord. And Moses spoke this to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses' account or own account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Moses steps in and delivers this word of who you are to God and what God's plan is for you. You're in bondage, you're in slavery now, but that's not who you really are. And yet because the bondage had been going on for so long, it says that their hearts were despondent. They, they didn't have hope. They thought they were stuck where they were and would always be. Their parents and their parents' parents and their parents' parents' parents, as far back, 430 years, they had just been slaves. And here comes a voice from the Lord saying, that's not who you are. You're an heir. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're not a slave. I have a land for you, a place for you to be. Trust me, follow me. But because it had gone on so long and there was no place in their hearts for that kind of hope, it was as if Moses' words fell on deaf ears. But even when God doesn't find us listening like we ought to be listening because we can't be convinced because of our circumstances that anything could change, that doesn't mean that the Lord stops trying to convince us. You remember the story of those, all those plagues that were, that were unleashed on Egypt in order to convince Pharaoh to let the people of the Lord go, set them free. And, you know, it, it would start it out with a, the Nile turning into blood, and, and then there were insects, and there were locusts, and the cattle died, and, you know, all those kinds of things happened one thing after another with some degree of increased intensity. But what was happening was, it wasn't just that the Egyptians were getting a, an experience with the power of God. The Israelites were being encountered by the power of God. Where did these bugs come from? Where's this hail coming from? How come this hail is hitting on the Egyptians and it's not hitting on us? How come our cattle are still alive, but all the Egyptian cattle has been killed? He was showing, to them, showing them and proving to them that he has the ability to convince us by acts of his power that he is real, that he is able, that what he says he will do, and even if we are hesitant to believe it, even if we can't embrace it all, it doesn't stop him from doing what is in his heart to do for you or for me. The despondency of the Israelites did not stop God's work of freedom in their lives. Be encouraged by that. Let that hope in. It, it, as we mentioned, one thing led to another, and they, they finally, as the, the Passover itself occurred and the death angel came and, and the firstborn throughout Egypt from the Pharaoh's house all the way through all the different levels of tiers of social structure there, the Scripture would say there was not one house in it where wasn't somebody, wasn't somebody dead except for the Israelites where they had taken the Passover lamb, prophesying the coming of Jesus. And they took the blood from the lamb and put it on the sides of the door and across the top and down the bottom. And when the death angel passing through saw the blood on the door, the death angel passed by and Israel was spared. There was not, there was not one lost firstborn in all of the children of Israel, all of those families in that part of, of Egypt where they lived. But with Pharaoh and the rest of Egypt, it was a terrible night. It was a horrible night. There was not one house that didn't have somebody dead in it. As a result, Pharaoh called his leadership together and they, they finally said, that's it. We're done with the Israelites. Get out of here. Leave us. You're free. Go worship your God, whoever that is, but, but get out of here. The Egyptians were saying among themselves, send them away lest we all die. Now, folks, I know this, what I'm about to say is going to be a very politically incorrect statement in the United States of America in which we live at this point in time. But we need to understand 
that when God gets ready to do something and the work is freedom, his primary work is going to be to set his people free. There will be some others, as in the case of the Egyptians, who were not responding. He gave them many chances. There were nine or 10 of these plagues and opportunities to see and, and let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. It wasn't that his, that his wrath came down hard immediately, but it was as the rejection continued and the position stiffened, it was as if the Lord was left with few other options in a human sense. And so he sent the angel of death to deal with the ones who were resisting the freedom of his people. Now, some folks would say, how could that be? How could a God of love? Folks, he's a God of love, but he is also a God of justice. He's a God of truth. He is a God of authority. He is the God of holiness and purity, but he is the God of love. That's why when finally there was a dispensing of his discipline, when finally there's a dispensing of his wrath, it comes at the end of a long continuum of many options but when it is finally refused, God will still pursue freedom for his people. Freedom for you. Freedom for you. Freedom for his people. So on the one hand, the children of Israel were rejoicing in the breaking of the bondage and the Lord was delighting in the freedom that was theirs. The Egyptians were grieving over the loss of life, literally and actually the loss of life. Somewhere in this thing where we've created this American God, this American Jesus, who never sweats, who never hollers, who never has a hair out, hair out of place, who never wants me to be uncomfortable, who would never do anything embarrassing to me. Somewhere we need to take that and compare that with the God of the Bible. He is in control, but he loves. The last thing that he would desire to do is to dispense judgment and discipline. But when that is re repeatedly rejected, it is not that God has changed. It is not that God has become mean. It is that, that the ones who are forcing God into that corner by their resistance, and I say this in particular, of the ones who refuse to allow the people of God to move on in their freedom. All right, so what are you saying, Pastor? Get, get it out of 4,000 B.C. and bring it into it. I'm, I'm just saying that there can be some settings in which some people circumstantially get removed from your circle of relationships or acquaintances. Blood can even. Even though they've had many chances to get off your case, to alter the way their attitude is about you and laying the heavy burdens upon you and judging you and causing you to feel that you're less than nothing, God can say, stop it. You will no longer address my child like that. You say, but it's my mother, but it's my dad. Your mother can be dead wrong. Your dad can be of the devil. Did I just say that? It's not that all fathers, it's not that all mothers, but if the devil can dress himself in the form of a woman or dress himself in the form of a man to convey his purposes and to shroud and cover and, and restrict and keep us away from our destiny, then he will do it until the Lord Jesus Christ steps into the equation. And he beckons his child out of the bondage. He beckons his child out and away and out from under the taskmaster into a place of freedom.
into a place of personhood, into a place of dream, dreaming again. When the taskmaster mentality is in place, you're afraid to dream. You're afraid to fail. You're afraid to disapprove, some, to meet someone's disapproval. And the Lord, the Lord said, I've been listening to that. I've been listening and watching what the Egyptian taskmasters have been doing to my people. And I'm telling you, Moses, those days are over. And I'm sending you to speak forth for me, to say to that Pharaoh, you let my people go. You set my people free. He didn't. And it cost him the life of his firstborn. And the lives of the firstborn children of Israel. Well, they ended up releasing, or at least saying in the beginning, children of Israel, you're free. Get out of here. Get out of here. Now, folks, the freedom journey is not an easy journey. Freedom journey is not a bed of roses. Freedom journey is just not one half gallon of bluebell homemade vanilla after another. The freedom journey can be a hesitating journey. Is this what I should be doing? Is this right? I'm not sure. The Lord knows that. He understands that. He can still buttress our sagging faith even in those times. It can be a hesitating journey. It can be a confusing journey. It can be a frightening journey. Here's why. Because our security can be tied to every cotton-picking thing we ever grew up with. Attitudes, faces, geographic location. Maybe not all that has to, be, has to be changed, but folks, when it is a matter of God wanting to set you free so you can think on your own, so that your heart can chase after him and not be in bondage to or enslaved by the opinions of somebody else, it can be a very disorienting thing when you realize I'm not going to have the attaboys from all these background for forces that I've been used to hearing. What if the very thing that cries in your heart, that causes you to surge, that this may be God wanting you to press that dream and pursue that course, is the very thing that you know would disappoint someone very close to you and dear to you? Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to listen to? The voice that would say, I don't feel good about that, I don't think about that, or the voice that would say, listen, I created you in my image, God said. I have a vision and a plan for you, and it's not a plan for destruction, a plan for calamity. It's a plan that's full of future and full of hope. It's not about nursing the status quo. It's not about just keeping everybody happy. It's not about just jumping over the bars and going through the hoops that the ones around you have always said, this is how you do life. When God does a work of freedom, it doesn't mean you stop loving those people. It just means they don't rule you. They don't rule you. They don't rule you. God owns your heart. You, you hear him drawing you higher. You, you, and and these, these voices will pale. But as long as they, they can control you and hold you and you can't live your life, because you're always having to check in. That's taskmaster, Egyptian bondage. And Jesus would say, I've come to set you free. I've come to set you free. I've come to set you free. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Okay, now, I'm hoping that by the work of the Lord's Spirit, there is some plowing going on inside our thinking. And there may be some of you sitting right there already getting nervous in your stomach. You know, I'm, I'm sweaty palms. But if I really believe that, 
then, then I, would, I wouldn't be putting up with some of the things that I continue to, or that my family for generations has always put up with. I'd be taking some stands. I'd be taking some positions. I'd be pursuing a course. What if that course is freedom? What if that direction is freedom? What if staying where you are is slavery, bondage, jail? Though it's a comfortable jail. And you grow up and live and die in somebody else's jail, in Pharaoh's system, when God comes and says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, I knew you before you were ever in your mother's womb. I picked you out and chose you as my very own before there was dirt in San Antonio. I've loved you and known you from eternity past. I'm loving you now, and I love you through eternity future. You can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me, he said. That was what he kept doing with the children of Israel during the dispensing of all of those different layers of plagues, trying to say to them, watch my power. You say, well, why did he pick bugs? I don't know why he picked bugs. Why did he pick frogs? I hadn't got a clue. How come it was hail? How come it was just cattle? How come he turned the Nile River that they worshiped into blood? Why? why? Folks, listen. The journey toward freedom will also have some confusing twists and turns. There'll be some things we won't always be able to understand. We won't be able to connect all the dots. But God is the author. He's on the road. He's leading. He knows what he's doing. And he doesn't have to explain it all to us. Just trust him. Just trust him. Just trust him. When they finally end up with Pharaoh's army deciding, oh, what a mistake we've made. We have given up 600,000 able-bodied Israeli men as our free labor source. You see, their decision to enter the fray again, William Pharaoh would have gone on and built another pyramid or something if he hadn't worshiped, bowed down to the God of financial prosperity. If you just learned, we made a big enough mistake, we, we let them go, we need to leave them alone. But then he starts thinking, oh man, we've lost our finances, we've lost our labor core, let's go get them. So they did. So they did. I want you to go with me to chapter 14 of Exodus. Verse 10, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. They'd come to the Red Sea. That, that, was, that was halting their escape route. Pharaoh is coming up behind them with his armies. It looked as if there was no hope. They weren't an army. They didn't have swords. They didn't have a battle plan. They were just following Moses, who they hoped to goodness was following God. But then when he brings them up to this spot, they don't know what to think. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That's their faith level. Way to go, Moses. Go through all that stuff, get us out here. We're fixing to be slaughtered. But Moses said to the people, Moses said to the people, 
When God gets ready to set you free, it doesn't matter if you've got a bunch of doubts or not. God doesn't have doubts. You just get where God wants you to be and you hunker down and stay there and let him prove himself true to you. Our minds may be going all over the place, but the good thing for them, they'd at least follow the Lord to that point. They thought it was the point of our death. It was the point of our certain demise. But it was right where God wanted them to be physically, geographically, even though their spirits were full of doubt. Moses said to the people, verse 13, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. For the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. In other words, don't even open your big, fat, complaining mouth. I don't need a word of praise. I don't need a word of petition. I don't need a word of nothing. You just stand there. You just stay put. You just don't run. You just wait. And God Almighty, who has mercy in one hand for you and might in the other hand, he will fight for you. Oh, folks. Oh, folks. What has happened to the American Jesus? That he's not a fighter. That he's not a deliverer. He's just nothing other than a consoler. There's some situations that you folks have been in through your life. If God hadn't fought for you, you wouldn't be here. If God hadn't stopped some things from happening that were violently meant against you, you wouldn't have made it. But because... Yes, he's a gentle shepherd. Yes, he let those little children climb all over and pull on his beard, work with his hair, want him to flip them. I mean, who, who knows? They were kids. Interrupted a woman's funeral procession where her own widow, only son, had just died. And Jesus steps into the funeral procession, raises the son up, gives the son back to his mother. He's a God of great mercy. Deep is his love, rich is his heart, far is his reach, low. But when he gets ready to fight, when he has had enough, when there is a purpose that he realizes that only he can accomplish in your life for you, watch his methods, watch his ways. Stand and see. The salvation of the Lord. Now, now what was the rest of the story? Verse 17. The Lord speaks, as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. The word harden there means allow to stiffen. They already had the, the component parts within their hearts. No compassion. Thinking only of themselves. No mercy. Those things were already there. For him to say that I will harden, it just means I'm allowing what's in them to come to full fruition. Harden their hearts, the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they'll go in after them, go after my people. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When I'm honored through Pharaoh, how? In his death, in his death, the Lord was honored in the death of Pharaoh and his armies. As he was honored in the freedom of his people. And the angel of God, verse 19, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved, went behind them, pillar of cloud moved, from before them and stood behind them. So it came, about, it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. He kept the two camps apart all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night. 
and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. That's not how you cross a big body of water, unless you got a big, long snorkel. They didn't need that because there was no water over their heads. The strong east wind was sufficient enough to part the water, dry the land, and congeal the water on either side so that they were passing through on dry ground. Then the Egyptians, verse 23, took up the pursuit and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen, went in after them into the midst of the sea. Mercy and might, mercy and might, mercy and might. And it came about at the morning watch that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the Egyptians into confusion. And he caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, they're out in the middle of it, they're trying to cross like the Israelites had. So the Egyptians said, let us free flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Where were they headed? To freedom. What were they walking on dry ground for? For freedom. And the water were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, watch this. The people feared the Lord, revered the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Isn't it interesting when the belief came? Some folks will say, God won't do anything unless there's plenty of faith in the room. God just won't work unless there's faith. Well, I'm, I'm sure that that is true to some extent. Moses was believing. And maybe there were fewer believing, but the context of this is saying most of the people hadn't yet come to the place of faith. They were still wondering what's going to become of us. Did we do the right thing? We're on the other side, but here they are come the armies. But when they saw <laughs> the power of God performed in such a manner that it meant their release and their freedom and the finality of Egypt's enslavement. They believed. They believed. You be patient with yourself. God knows we can't see what he can see. God knows we, we're, we're just human to the core. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. But here, here's the good thing is, when, when God is at work setting you free, and there may be circumstances going on that you're just, you're just being carried along by. Whether you understand it all or not, or can figure it all out, or see the depth of the depth of the depth of the meaning and implication and application of those verses that apply that to you, it doesn't matter. He knows what it takes to set us free. And he assumes the responsibility of carrying that burden in our behalf and orchestrating circumstances such that we are helped to the place of faith in him. So, is there somebody you can't forgive? 
And maybe that's somebody sitting right next to you, but don't look at them. Is there something that happened to you 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago that still seems to mark the way you view yourself? I'm just telling you, folks, because the Lord loves you and because God knows that there is a, there is a person you are that you may not even know yourself, but is a person marked by freedom and not by restraints and hesitations and the fear of man and the oppression of other opposing thoughts and, and attitudes. He just loves you enough to keep beckoning you and me further and further and further into freedom. Some folks say, well, I can't forgive them because if I ever let up, they'll never change. If I ever get soft, then they'll just get meaner. Okay. Find that one in the book. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The goodness and the kindness of the Lord leads a man to repentance. One of our, if there ever is a group of saints, you know, that we, well, we're not, we're all, but we are, according to Scripture, we're all saints. But one, one lady in our group that are 92 years old, Willa Dean Ramp, and she usually comes to first. So, Willa Dean, are you here? She usually sits about right there. She said, we were sitting in a meeting with intercessors the other night, and she said, Pastor, I got something I need to say. She said, the Lord's taught me some more on this thing of how to, how to deal with difficult people. I'm all ears when Willa Dean says anything. <laughs> 93, been, you know, been through all kinds of things, just a, just a wonderful woman of God. She said, she, said, she said, Pastor, what the Lord has told me and shown me that I need to do with the ones that especially I've had problems with and difficult with, say, he told me I just need to bless them. <laughs> I need to start, start praying blessings on them. And instead of carrying the resentment and the, well, God, what about that? What about that? It's like the Lord just said, leave that. Well, you just leave that to me and you just present. And then, then she said, here's, here's what hit me. It's the law of the harvest. You're going to reap what you sow. So if you want to get back blessing and kindness and sensitivity and openness, then sow it. Sow it and leave the results with him. She said, you know, in the last six months, <laughs> and I'm sure she had a list somewhere. I wasn't going to, you know. She said, every person that I was having a problem with it's as if the circumstance in our relationship has changed and there is peace, peace, peace. You reap what you sow. Folks, listen. So he's saying, trust me, that can be a place of freedom, freedom, freedom. You're not instead of having to monitor, be, be, the, you know, be the homeroom teacher, be the, be the principal, be the sheriff, be Barney Fife with a bullet to make sure that nobody steps out of line. Now, how dumb is that when we stop them to get far enough away from it? How dumb is that? It's dumb. God is God and we are not. He's everywhere at the same time. We're not. We're one place. We're stuck in one. He can be anywhere. He chooses to be at any time, making himself known any place. And so he says, trust me. What if a great and awesome place of freedom would be to just get that monkey off your back, that burden off your back, that you are responsible for the behavior of the world? How free would that be? How good would that be? You say, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I can't do it, but I'm going to ask you to do it in me. Show me. Give me words to pray blessing. Just help me to be able to say it. Lord, will you bless them? And not bless them for, with a million dollars. Bless them with a Maserati. Bless them with another house somewhere. Lord, just bless them with what you know they need. Bless them with what you know they need. In the name of Jesus.
Bless this one that I'm so cotton mad. I'm, I'm just so mad at I can't even see straight when the name comes up. I know this doesn't make sense, Lord, with all the conversation we've had about this person. But I'm going to just try this and see. In the name of Jesus, will you bless that man? Will you bless that member of my family? Will you bless that one with all the things that you know she needs or he needs? Try that. Would you try that? Would you try that? Instead of the other part, the other kind, holding on to all of the reasons for offenses. Freedom. 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 What if those things have gotten so worse, so much worse, that it's made you miserable in that condition, and so you're ready for what I just suggested you do? <laughs> it hadn't worked to be stay mad at them, stay offended at them, and I don't know how it could be any other way than that, but I, I had never tried this, Lord. I just I want to ask you to bless them with what you know they need in the name of Jesus.